My name is Brock, and this is the Dungeon Master's Toolkit Podcast. On today's episode, I talk to the maestro of many voices, aka Mike, over on TikTok, uh, username Hello Operator. On today's episode, we talk about how he preps games using his campaign decks. We also talk about Dinner in a Dungeon, how he used to play his in-person games. Then we talk a little bit about planning and getting ready for a session. There's some modules involved. We obviously have to get into his many, many voices, and he samples a number of them on the show. And we finish up with some discussion on homebrew and a little bit of world building in the Avatar The Last Airbender setting. Overall, it was a great conversation, and you can check him out on TikTok. Uh, as I mentioned, hello, operator, uh, but the O is actually a zero. Uh, and he'll talk about that at the end of the session as well. We've got a couple of things to get out of the way before we jump into the actual episode. So first off, if you are new or if you're just not on the Discord server yet, go ahead and use the link in the show notes to jump over there, uh, especially if you want to get interviewed because that's one of the best ways to find out when I have time for more interview slots. And my second exciting piece of information is that we are going to be running our second design contest. This is open to everyone, so if you are just tuning in now, uh, listen up because you have a chance to get in on a $10 cash prize. So it's oh, cash, it's a gift card to either Amazon or Drive Through RPG, winner's choice. And here's how it's going to work. Our last design competition, we created locations for a fantasy desert metropolis that we called called Janan, the Immortal Garden. And this time, we're kind of expanding what we have, and we're going to be doing a design competition focused around the creatures and monsters in and around this desert metropolis. So now I'm going to read the kind of flavor text that we have to set up the submissions, and then I will talk about what is required in your submissions, and then you'll be able to go ahead and submit those starting today. And this will run for about a month. So I will stop taking submissions on September 10th, and then I will release the winner of the competition the following week on the podcast episode. Here is the flavor text. The deserts surrounding called Janan are a treacherous wasteland. The sun will kill you just as soon as the creatures will. From the rolling sands, to the rocky canyons, to the wet marshes along the Elin River, something lurks. Creatures of all shapes, sizes, and colors. Some lay in wait among the rocks and sand, waiting to ambush. Others spit acid or poison needles. Others yet soar in the sky, following their prey for miles before swooping in. There are rumors of other hideous creatures. It's hard to say if the tales are true, or an illusion in the heat, or both. If you come across a creature out there, you may be the first, and hopefully it's not your last. Stay safe in called Janan. Just like the last competition, the submissions will all be through a Google Forms link. So you'll be able to find that in the show notes or on the Discord server. And let's talk a little bit about what you need. 
First off, you're going to need a name for your creature. You're going to need some tags like uh, their alignment, maybe what type of creature they are, like beast, monstrosity, soldier, whatever. Um, just different things like that. And if you think about like Magic the Gathering cards, they often have little uh, tags as well as to kind of what type of creature they are. So think in terms of that, just kind of a way to filter out and, and categorize these creatures. You also need to have strengths and weaknesses. So these, since this is a system agnostic uh, bestiary essentially, I wanted to include a way to talk about something that would maybe give them bonuses or penalties without actually stating it like that. So strengths, they can be as broad as say strength, dexterity, willpower, whatever, they can just be broad like attributes. Or they can be specific like skills, like athletics or intimidation, or they can be maybe a little bit more general and just be combat. Or they could be super specific and they could be um, like scouting or diff just different things like that. Any Anything that this creature should have a bonus to or a penalty for put those items in the strengths and weaknesses. So let's say that you're going to run one of these creatures in D&D for example. Basically what I would do to convert this stat block to a D&D stat block would be to say anywhere that they have strengths that apply to a roll, you basically add plus one or plus two maybe. And same thing with weaknesses, you would subtract those things. So if they had um, dexterity listed and archery, they would get two bonuses when they're firing a bow because they're, you know, get a bonus for their dexterity and uh, and that's how you handle ranged weapons in DD. So anything that gives them a bonus to a given situation, all that apply, add up as your bonus. So that's kind of what the strengths and weaknesses are. Penalties are the exact opposite, right? You just subtract those out. So if you have multiple that cancel each other out, you just take whatever's left over, and there you go. And then people can convert it to whatever system that they want or that they're running it in, D&D, &D, Blades in the Dark, whatever. Um, so that's strengths and weaknesses. And then there's also an abilities section. So this is for kind of special things that they can do. Uh, they might be special passive abilities or special resistances or immunities or something. Um, it can also be things like spells or magical effects that they can trigger or special physical moves that they can do. Just anything that's like a, an action or a special thing that this creature can do. And then we get kind of into the meat of the submission. So there's three sections. There, uh, This is all kind of in the description. There is one for look, which is the physical appearance and just kind of the general feel that you get when you would be in the presence of this creature. Then there is the habitat, which is describing more about what their environment is that they uh, would be living in, maybe about their uh, home or their nest or what you know whatever it is that wherever they live or are most often um, just kind of describing that environment and then finally their behavior so how do they act um, in the wild maybe in captivity uh, in combat are they um, aggressive are they hunters are they stealthy how do they act when they interact with 
um, something that may threaten them, or just in general, what is their their general kind of way that they live, what things do they do most often, um, and then when they get challenged, how do they react? So those are your three kind of descriptive pieces, look, habitat, and behavior. Each one has a character limit of um, about a thousand characters. Uh, so the last submission, uh, the last contest that we did, the submissions were limited to 3,000 characters. So I basically just split that into thirds and say you do a third for look, you do a third for habitat, and a third for behavior. Um, and this basically, in total, it's about a page if you decide to use that full amount. So it should be plenty uh, for each thing, and it'll keep them, since I have the things separated out, uh, it should keep the entries pretty balanced because you have the same limit on each of the three sections. Just like the last competition, once all of these submissions are in and I've picked a winner, I will be combining them all into a PDF uh, that can be released and downloaded for everybody. And I'm going to add on to the existing one that we have for the Desert Metropolis already. So um, if you're familiar with it, it's on the Discord. You can get the first competition's um, entries already um, and I'll be adding to that and uh, releasing basically a, an updated version with all of the monsters. I'm also hoping to run a one-shot in the Labyrinth location of one of the submissions from last time, hopefully using the monster submissions from uh, this design competition. So it should be a fun little experiment. So if you want to be in on this one shot, get on the Discord, let me know, and also submit a really nasty monster to pit yourselves against. I did write up a sample monster, and I will be reading through that description a little bit later in this episode, so make sure you look out for that. I did the Ember Guard, which is the uh, kind of centaur creature that's on the front cover of the uh, little PDF that we put together for the last one. So. Uh, look forward to that a little bit later in the episode, and without further ado, let's jump into the interview. Welcome, I have Hello Operator here, also known as the maestro of many voices on TikTok. Uh, welcome. Hey, it's great to be here. And why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got started in tabletop role-playing games. Sure, so, uh, Hello Operator is my, is, is, is my internet handle. Uh, Name's Mike or Michael, and yeah, I've been doing tabletop RPGs for oh gosh, probably about sixteen years or so, a little bit. I uh, I've always been a nerd. I've always been a uh, gamer, comic books, stuff like that. Um, I got stationed out in Georgia, and suddenly I was not the nerdiest kid in the room. Uh, a couple of my buddies uh, eventually talked me into playing World of Warcraft. Uh, they got they got together and bought me a couple of months uh, of subscription time, and once I was significantly hooked into that, like okay, you, we we've decided you're nerdy enough to do some things. Um, you're coming with us this weekend, and they had this guy who's a member of the the Georgia State Bureau of Investigation that had this huge theater of the mind time. Uh, theater of the mind type pathfinder game that i had proved i was nerdy enough for so they drug me to it and it it all went downhill from there well i say downhill it, it, it started the new obsession with tabletop <laughs> so it started with a little litmus test 
to see if you were, you know, good enough, and then they eventually pulled you in. Yeah, yeah. Well, so online MMOs were the gateway drug that was like, okay, you can do that. Um, now let's all go sit around the table for eight hours and roll dice. And you said that was a Pathfinder game? Yes, so Pathfinder is where I cut my teeth, and it's all I played for ooh, years. I don't think I, I picked up another system until probably about maybe four or five years ago. And what system do you end up playing mostly now? Mostly now it's uh, 5e. My I've just recently moved earlier in the year from Virginia to California, and with the pandemic and everything else, uh, we had a Pathfinder home game that was one long-running campaign that went for about three, three and a half years. Um, it was great. I loved it. But 5e, it's, it's just so much easier to get into. It's easier to DM. It's easier to find players that can just jump right into the game. So that's what I've been dabbling with more or less of late. Um, and you tend to be running the games or playing in them? So it goes. It, it was a little bit back and forth. Um, for most of that uh, 16 years, I was the forever DM, and then when the pandemic hit, uh, I finally, you know what? I'm I'm I miss playing. I know roll twenty is a thing. I'm gonna hop on and see what I can find. And I got so 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 lucky. I found an amazing group. Uh, Blackthorn Apothecary, uh, also on TikTok. He's one of the uh, he's one of the players I play in this game with. Uh, we've been playing since uh, last October every single Friday. It's been so great. Um, but we actually take turns. We go back and forth. Um, there's the session where we're all playing together. Where I play Basos Magnificent, and then every other Friday I run the game. And I'm currently, uh, we're about a quarter way through Curse of Strahd. Awesome. So you get a little kind of co-DMing in then. It's it's nice. One of our players uh, actually joined the Coast Guard, so he was going to be gone for a little while, and we were getting ready to go in a deep character arc for him, so I picked up the mantle DMing for a little bit, and then now he's back, and we just we go back and forth, back and forth. And that's all in the same, like the Curse of Strahd module? You You just flip who the DM is then at, in any given session? No, 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 no. So I do, I do Curse of Strahd, and then the campaign that got got us all started is this big homebrew campaign that is kind of based on like a high school anime. Like we've had a beach session and everything else, but it's been amazing. That's awesome. But then you get a little bit of a, I don't want to say a break, but every every other week you kind of are flipping between maybe one kind of theme or setting and then into Curse of Strahd. Yes, and it's it's really, really nice. Uh, Phil, uh, unfortunately, he's not really big on a lot of the social medias. Uh, otherwise, I would at him. Um, he's a phenomenal DM, and I have no idea how he runs a game every single Friday, and more than one. I think he has like two or three concurrent games in his homebrew and he hits them every single week. I, I, I can't do that. I need, I need time to plan, to strategize. It might be somebody that I need to bring on the show and learn his ways. <laughs> uh, so I, part of his ways, and he keeps telling this, that once we're all said and done, he will show us his campaign notes. Because it's 100% like 
a product of his mind. Uh, I believe his campaign notes, he said last time, were like 70-some-odd pages. Wow. Yeah, you could, I mean, you'd be getting close to starting to write a book there. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. So for your um, running Curse of Strahd, what is your kind of general um, method of prepping and then running the games? I love running Adventure Paths because it does make it a lot easier. Um, it takes a lot of the prep work out. Uh, with my line of work, especially of late, I haven't had as much prep time. So having a published adventure is so useful. Um, I will say it is highly, highly, highly important to, before I even told these guys I was going to do that uh, run Curse of Strahd, I read the book from cover to cover, front to back, made my little notes, because there are things that happen in the end that are greatly affected by things that happen in the beginning. And if you gloss over those, maybe you accidentally don't highlight an NPC, little stuff like that. Um, I have what I call campaign decks. And uh, campaign deck, so I have stacks of index cards. And these index cards have there's like two or three decks of them. One will be the monsters that they're going to fight. So it'll have all the monsters stats, what their little abilities are, their AC, their hit points, things like that. And I have those set off to the side. So if combat occurs, I can just pull that card. I don't have to flip through the bestiary or to the back of the book to find those stats. I'll do the same thing for NPCs and just little notes about their personality, something that's important to them, something they dislike, little notes about how their voice sounds because I always forget that. And those are index cards that you prep ahead of time? Yes, and I physically keep on my desk. And I have a I have a couple of those decks now. I was doing a uh, Storm King's Thunder on my last deployment, and so I prepped cards for all that. And if uh, a direwolf in Storm King Thunder is a direwolf in Curse of Strahd, so once you make the card, you don't have to make it again. That's super helpful. That's a neat idea, and I haven't really heard of people using cards in that way, um, but it seems like a really efficient way to prep, like you said, because then once you've got it written down, you can always go back to it if you use it in a different module. Oh, absolutely. And the same thing for uh, magical items, or if there's a special sword that somebody has, I already have everything that I need to know for that weapon or that shield or whatever right there on that little card. And it's just, it's super quick for me to just pick up and reference instead of, like I said, flipping back and forth and back and forth. Do you ever hand item cards out to your players? I do, I do. Um, especially if it's something that's that's pretty unique, or I, I'm going to give them the option of telling the rest of the party what it does. Uh, we're playing on Roll Twenty now uh, through Discord, so a lot of it is just sending them a, a quick uh, DM. But yeah, I. I I prefer to hand the item card to the individual instead of just announcing to everybody what it does. And let the player decide if they want to tell everybody else. And speaking of Roll20, how has your... Well, did you play in person before? I assume you did. Yes. Uh, I only started playing on Roll20 within the last year. And how has that transition been? It's different. Um, 
our home games we always called dinner in a dungeon and it was like a big potluck dinner and everybody brought food and we probably sat around and talked and chatted and ate for like the first hour or so before we all started playing oh discord it's in uh roll 20 it's it's a you, you can't do that um but there's so many other <clears throat> interesting aspects to playing online versus playing a home game uh, the individuals I'm playing with, um, one of them lives in Kentucky, one of them lives in Washington State. These are people I would have never met in my normal day-to-day -day life. Right, it really opens up the amount of players that you can meet and, and then get to play a game with. Oh, absolutely. And it's I've found it's... I have far few players miss sessions on Roll20 than I do home games. Because there are, le there are far fewer barriers to access. All you have to do is be able to log on. Right. Barring anything, you know, emergency-wise, there's not a whole lot stopping you. Yeah, that that actually kind of makes sense. I think I can kind of see similar patterns in my um, home games that I've done versus ones I've done online. It's, there's just there's less driving for people, and it just is a little bit easier, a little bit more convenient. I will say that there are absolute benefits to home games. There's a lot of things that you can do that you can that you can't replicate as well online. Um, every Halloween, I run a Call of Cthulhu game, and I'll usually give out uh, points of inspiration if somebody dresses up as their character. Uh, this past Halloween, we ran one uh, on the Titanic. And my wife actually went through and made the 11 course meal they served the night the Titanic sank and served that throughout the evening as we were playing. And it's just the theatrics of a home game can be so amazing. That's awesome. I wouldn't have thought of incorporating the, the meal as part of the actual um, like atmosphere of a home game. The, the meal, everybody was dressed in uh, like period-appropriate attire, um, had music going on in the background. Of course, Call of Cthulhu, too, is a very theatric game. Was, most of that's done uh, theater of the mind as well. Yeah, and that is a system that I have not yet gotten a chance to play. So um, I've heard a lot about it, but not, never actually gotten to sit down and play it's pretty awesome. You just have to remember in Starfinder, you're an envoy or like the solar monk in Pathfinder or 5e, you're a wizard or a sorcerer. In Call of Cthulhu, you're a lawyer or a librarian or the town drunk. <laughs> Not quite as flashy. Not, I would say far more squishy. <laughs> what other systems have you played? Um, so uh, Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition, um, Dungeon World. Uh, I actually got started on the Fantasy Flight Star Wars games, Age of Rebellion, um, and then we actually on the server we ran a game of Blades in the Dark not too long ago. Um, I know they're kind of trying to get another session in here sometime soon. So those are kind of the four main ones that I've played. 
Um, I've read a handful of other ones like the Cypher System and Numenera, um, but haven't gotten a chance to play those. I those are so, I haven't even heard of some of those. It was one thing I've loved about getting onto uh, TikTok and meeting all these other content creators. I'm learning so many new systems and so many new interesting mechanics. I'm getting ready to play uh, Savage Worlds for the first time coming up. That one I'm really excited for. Yep, I have heard a lot about that one as well and haven't gotten a chance to play uh, Savage Worlds either. And that's one of the things I like about this podcast is interviewing people who play different systems because there's a lot of mechanics that you can steal from one system and port it over to D&D or to wherever. You know, they don't have to be straight conversions. You can just steal little things here and there. Oh, absolutely. And even different versions of D&D. Uh, I've started reading into uh, 4th edition. I've never played it, but they have really, really interesting um, like bloodied mechanics for different little things that kick in when your players hit half health that I find really adds an interesting level of depth. I've heard I know that 4th edition doesn't always get a lot of love online, but I have heard people talk about the mechanics and really enjoy some of the mechanical bits that it offers, but maybe not everything as like a whole package. From what I've heard, it was a phenomenal combat simulator. I've heard it was an amazing game. It was not an amazing Dungeons and Dragons game. Sure. So just, I don't want to say like innovative, but maybe they kind of innovated in the wrong direction for D&D. Perhaps. I mean, I I can't speak too intelligently on it because, like I said, I haven't dabbled myself. Um, I went from Pathfinder, which you almost need a master's degree in accounting once you hit level 10 if you're playing a full caster, to 5E, which is in five minutes you can have a character and be running a game. Yeah, all the all the fun math of Pathfinder. It's another system I haven't played, but I've I've seen and and heard a little bit about it. So Pathfinder let, let me put it like this. Um 5E's come a long ways and we keep getting new content and new classes, but for a, for a while there I think there were maybe 75 different combinations that you could create and boom, you've made every character you could possibly play in 5e. It's gotten significantly better and there's a lot more depth. Now, with Pathfinder, I think you could play a different character every single day of your life and never play the same thing twice. Uh, I did a video the other day talking about barbarians in Pathfinder. There are 42 different archetypes without getting into third-party publishing for just Barbarian. Now, do they handle, like, is that, like, separate, uh, so, like, in D&D terms, like, subclasses, or do they have just different, kind of, like, a pool of, like, options that you can choose when you make your characters? So, it's kind of like subclasses on 5e at level either 2 or 3, or depending on what your class is, um, you have the subclasses and you branch out. The archetypes in Pathfinder are almost like templates that you lay on top of the class. So it lists out like four or five abilities that you get instead of uh, what the core or the base class would give you. Okay, so it's just kind of like a way to tweak the current class that you're using. 
Yeah, so uh, for example, uh, there is an armored Hulk barbarian. And essentially it's a barbarian that specializes in wearing just full plate armor, shields, um, not just running in their Conan bear chest style. And you get the proficiencies for all of these armors, but you lose, I think it's like uh, one of the trap senses or something along those lines. Um, there's another one called the Mad Dog, and you get a pet that runs around with you, but I think you lose some of the single target damage that you would have if you were just by yourself. And those templates that you have, are they specific only to barbarians, or can those like be put on top of other classes? So those are specific to barbarians, but every single class has their own as well. And then it gets in depth, like there are like race-specific ones. Um, there's a racial archetype for goblins. If you play a goblin wizard, you can take this archetype called a tome eater. Goblins are, by base rule, uh, illiterate. They hate books. They're terrified of books. Writing things down steals thoughts from your mind. So it's a little odd for a, a, a goblin to carry around a spell book. So they have the tome eater archetype, where they eat books and scrolls, and that's how they learn magic. And it's awesome. That is a hilarious little kind of caveat to let you play um, as a goblin wizard. <laughs> uh, Starfinder did something very, very similar. Um, they can figure out, or they get like a bonus to their mechanics or technology checks uh, by chewing on things. So if their gun doesn't work, they can stick it in their mouth, chew on it, and figure out how to fix it for whatever. I don't know how that works, but I love it. The imagery is just hilarious. <laughs> the Starfinder. So I, I think I've dabbled. I think I've played one of the uh, Star Wars games once many, many moons ago. Um, I have dabbled with Starfinder. That one was really, really fun. Um, so when you're, well, it sounds like you're playing mostly D&D &D now. Do you tend to stick with kind of the medieval fantasy then in your games? Or do you, like you mentioned Starfinder as well, do you occasionally branch out for like single campaigns or one shots? or? So 5e is, 5e is where I come home to. Um, but I mentioned, uh, so I, I, I've dabbled in Starfinder. Uh, the Savage Worlds game we're playing is a wire, wild, weird, wild, weird west. There we go. Um, I think I always come back to like high fantasy, but it's interesting branching out and trying new things. Yeah, the two that I tend to cycle between is Star Wars or medieval fantasy so that, that's pretty much my two options <laughs> my my two my two big ones the ones i always tend to go back to or the the high fantasy and lovecraftian horror do you have any tips for uh new dms in running games oh yeah absolutely uh the first one is to just do it give it a shot try it you're I was always so, 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 so terrified of DMing. And I still am. I still get super nervous and anxious when, like, I know everybody's coming over. But you're never going to get over that. You, that's, that's never going to change. You're, you just have to push yourself 
and get over that hump. You're always going to think you're terrible. You're never going to be nearly as terrible as you think you are. You miss 100% of the shots you never take. And I think the biggest mistake most DMs make is that they are too scared to jump into it in the first place. I would also say uh, the planning aspect is something that it takes a little bit of time uh, to figure out how much planning you need to do. And I think it's different for every single group. Um, a big mistake I think most DMs make is they get super in-depth in the weeds and they, they plan for all sorts of content that the party never even touches. And that that's part of playing the game, too, though. You're going to spend hours and hours and hours writing up this NPC that you as a DM fall in love with and your party will just go, hey, what's up? And just keep walking by. I've heard that so many times of just the over plan or, or plan for what you think is going to happen and then the players are just like, yeah, nope. <laughs> we'll do something else. 100%. You, you'll plan for everything down the left fork of the road and they'll go the right way. Which is one of the fun things about tabletop role-playing games, right? Is that in this setting, you don't have to follow a specific path, in, in most cases anyways. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's And depending on the campaign setting that you're in, it's completely open world. And people can go so many different directions and change so many things. And it's impossible to plan for absolutely everything. For me as a DM, that's one of my favorite aspects is when the party does something that I didn't even think about. And now I have to completely adjust fire and make something up as you go. It's a lot of improv. And how do you see that? Um, let me see how to ask this. So in your Curse of Strahd game, when you're following your module, how closely do you stick to kind of what the module has laid out versus letting your players kind of twist and turn things? So with the module, uh, I have most of my players uh, in my running of it have either played it before or run it before. So I use it as a framework. Um, Strahd himself is not the major villain of my campaign, and the players are starting to figure that out. Uh, <sighs> two of my players found a homebrew uh, race that they really, really enjoyed uh, called Curspa, which are sentient uh, squirrel-like creatures. <laughs> so I had to change, like, the, these these things don't exist. Why would they be in Barovia? I had to create this entire, like, pantheon of Archfey and the Feywild and how they're involved. And it's from before the session one even started, it had already gone completely off the rails. <laughs> so really, like you said, it's just a framework for kind of what you think would happen and then it's all kind of tweaked as uh, especially like you said with your players having a different homebrew um, stuff brought into it you just kind of twist and mutate it to fit whatever it is that your players are doing basically oh absolutely and your your party and you as the DM I feel are going to have far more fun and it's going to be far more memorable 
if you turn it into something that is uniquely yours. Now, there's absolutely nothing wrong with playing it verbatim from the book, but like Strahd as an individual, kudos to the writers. They made it so easy to hate him to a point where I'm a little uncomfortable playing him as written, so I had to change him up myself. Sure. So just, yeah, just even the core book is kind of needed to be tweaked, at least for your group. Yes. And I, there's, there's some things, uh, there, there's some things in there that are, are slightly problematic, um, with, uh, the Vistani and how they are like a stereotype of Romani culture. But I, we have a lighthearted, cheery, roleplay heavy group. So, yes, Barovia is still a dark and terrible place, and I remind them of that from time to time. But I've tweaked enough things that we can have those happy little moments. Um, Strahd is... <laughs> so on TikTok, uh, the, the Maestro of Many Voices thing started because I had this voice for Strahd that people seem to enjoy. But that's not how I voice Strahd for my game. Strahd sounds like Maximilian Pegasus from Yu-Gi-Oh! in our game. <laughs> oh, I haven't seen Yu-Gi-Oh! in so long. <laughs> I, I don't even remember why it came up, but I, I wanted to make him less serious. So I was playing around with it. And I just decided, well, squeaksy boy, welcome to Barovia. Hmm. And it just stuck. That is awesome. So a little bit on your voices, you you do have a very good ability to kind of give those impressions of different voices. Do you have any tips for how to do that? Practice, practice, practice. Um, so... I I generally wait till my wife's not home, but I will I'll I'll stare at myself in the mirror and I'll I generally try to pick like one phrase. Um so for uh Maximilian Strahd, it was well Yugi boy. And I would look at myself in the mirror and I would say that over and over and over again and then start to branch out just a little bit at first. Well Yugi boy, hello. And then as you kind of pick up that cadence, you pick out how to say other words with it. Um, and if it starts to kind of fall away a little bit, you can go back to that key phrase again. Um, with most of my voices now, I'll run over it in my head, like that one or two little phrases, and I can, after you've practiced them with them for a while, you can just kind of slip in and out. But yeah, for, for a new voice that I've never done before or I want to play around with, I spend a stupid amount of time talking to myself in the bathroom mirror. <laughs> the dreaded tip of practice, right? Nobody wants to... He, there's There's got to be a quick way to, to be able to do this, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, it's If it's something you enjoy doing, then it doesn't feel like practice. I enjoy doing the voices, so... Uh, starting off with a jacket cane while I'm talking to myself in the mirror and my facial expressions will change and I'll notice myself hunching over as I slip into the character. 
or get Fizzlock, Goblin Extraordinaire, the voice I typically do for most of my goblins and almost all of my artifices. You just you start slipping into them and you create characters and personas around these voices and they kind of come alive a little bit and I love that. Yeah, that's awesome. That's that's one of the things that I think that I have struggled with the most is because I'm not not typically like super animated. Um, so like trying to come up with voices and stuff is maybe a little bit harder for me. Um, but I do enjoy it. And, and for me, if I'm ever practicing random stuff, it's usually like when I'm driving somewhere in the car by myself because I know nobody else can hear me. So <laughs> I do that. Um especially when I first started, I only had a few voices uh, in my back pocket. So, some of the running jokes. Um, every single town that my players will go to, and it doesn't matter if we're playing Starfinder, if we're playing Pathfinder, if we're playing 5e, every single town has two guards. Bigs and Wedge. And they always talk with just this Jethro Jebediah southern accent and it's so i don't have to create accents and voices for every single guard it's just that is the nurse joy and officer jenny that you will meet everywhere you go i love that reference that's awesome <laughs> wait didn't we see you in the last town no that's my cousin <laughs> or sister or whatever <laughs> yep a hundred percent every single time well, that probably also helps your players a little bit, at least know who they're interacting with then, right? Because they would become familiar with that persona. Yeah, and they're pretty much the same everywhere they go. There may be... The captain of the guard uh, might be unique to every town, but your run-of-the-mill guard just bigs and wedge. And they're, they're just doing their job. They're not real great at it, but they're good guys. Well, and if you if you took like a sample from like a large area and local, you know, kind of like the guards would be kind of commoners ish, I suppose. So you just took a random sample of people all in kind of in the same area, you probably would get pretty similar voices. And I think that's fair. Um, <laughs> but my my commoners, uh, I'll throw different accents in. Uh, the Vistani, I usually talk about, about like this, but even with my Vistani, when they talk to the guards around the camp, they're still bigs and wedge. <laughs> it's just a meme at this point. Hey, if it makes it more fun at the table, that's what's important, right? And easier to it's, run. Exactly. No matter no matter what you do, and I, I think we, you were talking about tips for new DMs. Um, I, I think this harkens back to this. No matter what you do, if everybody at the table is having fun, you are doing it right. So for coming up with new voices, is it like when you're kind of inspired to come up with a new voice, is it because you created a new NPC and you want to try to figure out what their voice is, or do you take inspiration from other media? What kind of do you start with? So it depends. It depends on the character, um, and inspiration can come from from almost anywhere. I love, uh, like I, I play World of Warcraft, so that Bronx Goblin Artificer, oh, it just fits for me. Um, the Vistani, I wanted to get away from the Romani Gypsy, like it just it just felt really icky. But I've played a lot of Skyrim, so a lot of my Vistani sound a lot like the Karjit from Skyrim. Um, 
Biggs and Wedge, I got a lot of inspiration for them too off of Duke's a Hazard. So it, it's different things of video, or I'll hear a voice that just sounds very iconic and I want to grab it and put it in. Deckard Kane is one of those that I just, anytime someone is going to give you a massive law dump, I just feel like they should say, stay a while and listen. Um, do you have kind of go-to uh, personas or voices for other races like dwarves or elves? I, I, I do try to... Give me a second. But <laughs> the ones I do less often tend to blend together. Um, I've got voices that I use for pretty much every bandit. A uh, little bit Cockney, kind of, or just real grungy Londoner. For for dwarves, I, I I try to do I try to do a little bit more Irish. Uh, it's a little bit more sing-songy, a little bit more lit. Uh, I don't think I've actually ever voiced an elf. Now that I'm thinking about it, we're really putting you on the spot here. I I, I know. Um. Oh gosh. Uh, I I think for an elf. Oh god. What is my elf voice? I think it would be more lofty, a little bit more breathy. There's an air of arrogance to it, I feel. Yes, yes, this is my elf voice. I have an elf voice now. Wonderful. There, I helped you uh, establish what your elf voice is. So, Thank you. Episode is a success. <laughs> yes! We're going to take a quick break from the episode, and I will read my contest submission. This is the uh, centaur-type creature that is found on the cover of the PDF that we put out. Name is Embergard. The tags, I have Lawful Beast Soldier. Its strengths, I have Strong, Fast, Athletics, Combat, and Intimidation. Then for the weaknesses, I have Rough Terrain, Insight, and Social Interaction. It has a single ability called Unwavering, which makes it immune to charm and fear effects. Now I will go ahead and read the three descriptions, look, habitat, and behavior. The Ember Guard is a large beast-like creature, half horse, half man. Dark of skin and mane, the Ember Guard are ferocious fighters and will defend the will of the elite council tirelessly. They are adorned with heavy leathers and golden yellow armored plates. They carry a massive spear and shield, much larger than those carried by regular soldiers. Their helmets are a similar golden color topped with four curved spikes. Most notable is the glowing red eyes that show through the helmets. It is said that their glowing eyes allow them to see in the darkness. The Ember Guard patrol in and around called Janan. They can often be seen entering and exiting the Ember Guard barracks, a special section of the Ember Palace dedicated to holding and training the Ember Guard. The primary entrance to the barracks is only accessible via a small drawbridge that is lowered at regular intervals to allow Ember Guard to come and go. Where they truly come from is unknown. Rumors say they are some form of magical experiment. Others believe they are a hybrid creature bred into service. No one but the elite council know the true nature of the Ember Guard. The Ember Guard are almost mechanical in nature, ever present but unspeaking. 
projecting just their large size and strength. They often travel in small groups of two or four, always accompanied by a captain of the Ember Palace. The Ember Guard are fearless, listening only to the command of one of their captains. They do not waver. They do not retreat. In combat, they will fight to the death following the orders of a captain. The Ember Guard use their size and speed to quickly outmaneuver and surround their foes using their massive spears as lances to either skewer their enemies or force them into a position of submission. When on open ground, they will often use their shields to bash through enemy formations. Even without a captain, the Ember Guard will defend the interests of Kald Janan with frightening ferocity. Two extra pieces that I forgot at the beginning is the size and speed. So this is a large creature and its speed would be fast. And with that, let's get back to the episode. Um, my my main character, or I say main character, uh, the one that I'm uh, playing the most extensively right now uh, is my Tiefling Bassos. Yeah, it's magnificent. And for whatever reason, all of my Tieflings finds up having German accents. That's a that's a, a really good German accent. It's a it's a fun one to play around with too. I've messed around with German in the past, so it's it's what I really really enjoy because all you have to do with a German accent is change the pitch of it to go from that's just very light and humorous and almost like you're not going to take me seriously, and then you just drop it and immediately it sounds dire. Uh, I, I will say that that voice, uh, Bassos and Magnificent. Um, that one actually comes from, uh, I don't know if you ever played Team Fortress 2, but the medic tweaking that voice. Ah, yes. Um, I can't quite hear the medic's voice at the moment. It's been a while since I've played it, but they do all have kind of unique voices. Anyways, that's how I lost my medical license. That, that is what stuck me on that voice. When you're playing in games, what uh, like class or archetype do you typically like to play? I have always been really, really big on bards. Um, I like playing, and I, and I think it's something that happens with a lot of Forever DMs. You wind up playing utility and support classes. So you can be that Swiss army knife that your party needs. Uh, recently, I've fallen in love with artificers. Uh, I just played my first Rogue last night, which was really, really fun. I, I've played... Uh, I, I had a lot of fun playing Bloodhunters um, every once in a while, especially if I'm playing with other Forever DMs. I, I enjoy playing just the dumb-as-rocks Barbarian, because you don't have to think with that. You can just smash things, and it's great. You just turn your head off and roll a stupid amount of dice. So when you are, um, so when you're playing, do you like to get away from some of the like thinking and stuff, and and let the other DM be in charge? Absolutely, I, I, it, and it depends on what we're doing, and I'll try to, like I said, as a forever DM, when you do get a chance to play, you kind of tailor what you play to the party you're playing with. So I'll generally talk to the DM first and like, hey, so do you need somebody to just kind of help push the 
story along? Is this you know is is this super combat heavy? Is it role play heavy? And I'll I'll tailor it to the situation. Sure. Um, in our Dungeon World game that we played for the first time, I played a druid, and I realized that that may be my go-to class now because the flexibility of being able to just kind of change into whatever animal you need at the time is just really good in a lot of situations but at least in dungeon world they're not they're like not the best at doing damage they're not the best at you know sneaking around they're not they're kind of like a jack of all trades in that respect but then they also have all of that flexibility of being able to change so you can kind of be whatever you need at that moment um which is and as a dm always uh, my brain is always churning on like new characters to make or um like oh i wish that i could do this but if i was just a druid then i could at least kind of do everything <laughs> yeah druids are great uh, especially uh, i i've i've only played one once or twice in 5e but i think like eventually you can unlock things with fly speeds and swim speeds or turn into a spider and crawl under the door, and like there's just so much utility in that, and I love it. And yeah, if I ever if I ever get into another five E campaign, I'm probably gonna go Moon Druid. <laughs> uh, w- one character that I really really want to play is a Warforged Druid. That's he's just a transformer. I love that concept. Just a hunk of metal that changes into different animals. That's awesome. Yeah, just make the little transformer noises and morph into whatever beast that you're turning into. I had not considered transformers as inspiration for a druid class, but I love it. I want to say there is, and it, it, it's third party. Uh, it was the first time I ever bought a third party book because I thought it was uh, it was put together so well. I thought it was uh, first party D anD. d uh, Eberron Rising, uh, I think was the name of the book, but it has um, Warforged-specific subclasses for a couple of different classes, and one of them was uh, specific uh, Warforged-specific Druid class, and like it's you've transformed into these animals, and it is glaringly obvious to anyone who looks at you that you are not really that animal. You are not a cat. You are a robot cat. Uh, but you get to pick up things later on, like uh, your body's made of adamantium, or you get resistance to certain elements and a higher AC and little stuff like that. I thought it was really, really neat. Sure. So you get those other boosts that just like the pure anim- animal wouldn't have. Yeah. That's yeah. A, it's a cool way to, to handle that. I would say there was one for Monk as well, um, where you could essentially change out your hands and you're still doing flurry of blows but you could choose whether it was bludgeoning piercing or slashing damage sure because you're changing like what kind of weapon is on the end of your arm basically yeah so uh what what classes have you not played um so i've only played a couple i had a monk um i had a four elements monk in my first ever D campaign um and then a uh, Warlock for very, very shortly in that same campaign until that campaign fizzled out. Um, and then Druid in Dungeon World. And uh, I played in another 5e game where I was an armorer artificer. 
So those are, it's a pretty small sample size of classes. Well, you said you've played other systems too. I'm, I'm really, really curious now because you, you, you brought it up a, a second ago and I had somebody else uh, bring up this question on uh, one of my TikTok videos. What was your first ever character? It doesn't have to be necessarily 5e. What was your first ever tabletop RPG character? So I would have to say that my first ever character was actually that monk in that D&D campaign. Um, okay. Reason being, so I started with that Star Wars, the Fantasy Flight, uh, Age of Rebellion game. Um, I had never played RPGs before. Um, but I also didn't know anybody else that had also played RPGs um, that could play. So I, uh, for the first time, ran the game for other people with basically nobody knowing how to play <laughs> So, so I didn't <laughs> I've actually. Done I've done that. <laughs> so I didn't actually get to play as a character in the Star Wars game. And actually, come to think of it, I don't know that I ever have. I've, I've never had anybody else run it for me. It's always been me running it for other people. Um, and then, uh, so that was kind of my first experience with role-playing games. And then uh, we had a friend in college that um, was like, "Hey, are you, would you be interested in in doing like a D and D fifth edition?" And we're like, "Yeah." I would like to see how this is actually done by somebody who knows what they're doing. Um, <laughs> so then uh, made a monk character, um, big Avatar The Last Airbender fan, so had to go with uh, uh, Four Elements Monk, which you just burn through key points so fast with that class, but it was still a lot of fun. So I've I've only played a monk once. I played uh, it was a Sun Soul Monk. Um and no, I, I I had a lot of fun with it, but yeah, you're absolutely right. You those key points go away real quick if you don't watch them. Well, especially most of the abilities that the um, four elements monk gets, they're all just like different spells that they can cast, but using key points instead of spell slots. But the I mean, key point is like if it's a, a second level spell, it's two key points, but you get a number of key points equal to your monk level. So at level two, you only have two key points, right? So like you burn through those super fast. Oh yeah. I think uh, the the monk that we played. Uh, so my my wife plays it uh, with me as well. And whenever we play characters, we always try to make them. Uh, they have something. Uh, their their character stories are linked somehow. So we played two cobold. Uh, clutch mates and the idea behind it we didn't want to have anybody they didn't have a dark history a dark backstory like their parents weren't slain by a dragon they didn't take an arrow to the knee they just got bored and decided to go be adventurers so they were they were click and clack and we'd switch their names back and forth every once in a while just to confuse the party uh mine was uh the sun soul monk and hers was a shadow monk and we just skittered around and did little teamwork attacks, and it was great and awesome, and I loved it. That's awesome. That's a really neat concept too to have the clutch mates. Yeah, they were just they were just they were just buddies. It was awesome. They're so wholesome. Do you have a favorite uh, character or set of characters that you've played? So there there were a couple I played. Uh, so this is actually the second time I've played Bathos. Um, when we originally played them, they were Tiefling brothers, uh, whose names were Bart and Dart. Uh, 
Dart was her character, who was a uh, eldritch knight fighter. Uh, did not have the same accents, uh, it, and like everybody, it it kind of like just came a thing. Like Barthos's name was actually Bart. His his accent was fake. He was a he was a lore bard, so he was just embellishing it up. Um, I played a Warforged uh, Horizon Walker Ranger, and she played a. Uh, oh God, we didn't play that one for long. Um, I believe she was a Goliath Circle of the Forge uh, cleric, um, but she was my mechanic, so it was that one was a fun one. Um, and you've mentioned homebrew as well how much do you go to homebrew or like third party content for your games for classes and stuff like that I typically try to stick with uh, published material uh, because it's balanced uh, but lately I've been uh, I I've been spreading out a little bit further uh, Blackthorn's uh, Apothecary uh, has gotten re got me really really interested in uh, grimdark. Uh, excuse me. And there's some really really interesting stuff in that one. Uh, there is a archetype for or subclass rather for artificer that heavily mirrors some of the warlock mechanics. The idea is instead of like a patron. Uh, you are destined to either create or be part of the creation, like play an important part in the creation of this ultimate, amazing piece of technology, machine, construct, AI, something along those lines. And it acts like a patron speaking to you from the future to guide you along the path that you need to go to build it. And that's really, really neat. That is a... I'm a software developer that works with like automation and and ai and stuff so that sounds right up my alley for sure that one specifically was really really cool does it gets uh at i think like fifth or sixth level uh you can take like a cart or a chariot or something like that and there's like this hour-long process you have to tinker around with but you can create a i think it was called like a doom engine um, I took a chariot and tweaked it around and essentially became like this combat segue that I rode around in the battle. It was amazing. It's like a personal tank. <laughs> yeah, like you do extra damage while you're in it. And yeah, it's, you, you become a tank. It was, I, like I said, third-party stuff, I don't know how balanced it is. I don't know how balanced that was, but it was really fun. Do you ever, like, if you include homebrew stuff in your game or, like, allow players to use homebrew classes, do you ever kind of give them the caveat of, like, okay, if things start getting really broken, we're going to have to reel it in or change it? Or has it worked out for the most part? So, so a lot of it's worked out so far, and I think because everybody at the table I play at now has also DM'd. Um, third-party material is generally stuff I don't allow for new players because they don't understand the balance as much. Um, so with anything third-party, it's something that I would want to read over, I would want to kind of do my own little checks and balances with, but I respect the players at my current table enough 
that they would not pick something that's going to be like ridiculously overpowered. Yeah, and like you said, if they've all been DMs before, they they understand kind of the mental load it would be on you or whoever it is running the game, and then also bringing up new content, especially if it doesn't maybe fit in like the module that you're going to play or something, you know, without coming to you first at least. Yeah, uh, and Pathfinder, I, I learned the le- this lesson the hard way when I first started playing uh, Pathfinder. Like, don't get me wrong, homebrew can be great. There are some amazing things in it. But Pathfinder, there were already enough rules that you had to have memorized. When you start introducing too much homebrew, all you're doing is creating more things that you have to memorize, especially like homebrew mechanics and how you uh, resolve certain things. Every single time you do that, you have to make sure that you resolve it the same way every single time, or you're just making up the rules as you go. And it can start to add up. Yeah, so you're just making it harder for yourself effectively, which as a DM, it's, it's not an easy job to start out with, so... No, and fortunately, 5e is super, super streamlined. Most of it boils down to, uh, I don't know, make that check with advantage or uh, make it with disadvantage. Right, everything can at least be boiled down to just a check, if at the very worst. Yeah, and it's, like I said, 5e is, it streamlines, I love it, it's... It is my favorite system to DM because it allows me to focus on the story, on the characters, on the roleplay, and less on the rules because the rules are... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, uh, I, I lost words. Oh, dear. Um, they just flow. That's, let's go with that. They just flow. Are there any particular games that are not D&D that you haven't played but would like to? So I'm really looking forward to uh, this Savage Worlds game that's coming up. Um, We're playing uh, the Wild Weird West. It's an exploding dice system that I've never dabbled with before, and that sounds really, really cool. Uh, Exploding dice being... So, uh, like... you have to you you pick. I'm I'm trying to think of how it works in this system because I haven't played it yet. I've just made the character. Um, your ability scores instead of like in fifth edition where your scores are anywhere between eight to twenty. In this, your abilities are D4, D6, D8, D10, or D12. And when you roll, so I think my strength is a D4. Um, for any strength check, I roll a d4. For my dexterity, my dexterity is a d10. For any dexterity, I roll a d10. And you, there's some little pluses in there, but that's what you get. But with an exploding dice system, if I roll a 4 on that d4, if you roll the max number on that die, you set it aside and you roll another one. And you add those numbers together. And if you get a 4 on that one, you set it aside and you roll another one. So there's this really interesting balance mechanic where, yeah, my dexterity is a D10, so I could just roll a 9. But that D4 for my strength, because there are only four possibilities, I'm more likely to explode that die. And 
your critical your critical chances are higher, even though what you naturally roll would be lower. It's uh, it's an interesting little balance. I'm looking forward to see how it works. Hmm. Yeah, and I haven't read much on Savage Worlds, so um, I, I hadn't considered that balance between the um, the exploding dice. But yeah, you're right. D4 has got a 25% chance that you're going to explode versus a D10 is only 10%. So you do kind of got to pick and choose which ones, which attributes you want to be just kind of consistently good versus kind of randomly really good. Yeah, I um, I will say I don't think I've ever played Call of Cthulhu. I've I've DM'd it several times. I would love to play Call of Cthulhu. Um, I that that's a D one hundred system, which is it's. I think when you start, first start a character, you've got like six or seven hundred skill points that you have to sprinkle across everything, and if you have seventy five points in, let's just say, uh history then you roll a d100 and as long as you get under a 75 then you pass the check so that was an interesting a really interesting system uh, i will say i've heard a lot of amazing things about uh is it vampire the masquerade uh there's there's a huge following for that system on tiktok that i've never dabbled with uh, one of the people that I interviewed, um, I don't know, it was probably one of my first interviews, um, that was their main system was Vampire the Masquerade. Um, also one that I have not dabbled in or played with. But it sounded uh, pretty interesting. So Yeah, it sounds really, really cool. Uh, White Wolf is another one that I hear a lot of people really love. I've gotten into uh, Beggar Talk on TikTok, and it's... Uh, people coming up or like bring up all these other really cool games that they play and trying to get people into uh the burning wheel is one that's really really interesting um i just jumped on the kickstarter for the avatar tabletop rpg that's coming out that one looks really cool oh people have been talking about that on our server <laughs> I, I i'm in a couple of uh like tiktok creator servers and like that one got brought up and I immediately had to jump on it. I'm really looking forward to seeing how that one pans out. Did you get the I know they have like a quick start that's out. Have you seen that? I haven't yet. Uh like I there is a way to like jump in and dabble with the system. Um like like a little mini one shot, I believe. Yeah, I I don't I haven't read through all of it, but I downloaded it I don't know week or two ago I think and it's got kind of like the core rules and how they work and then I think there is maybe a little kind of sample session or something I would, I've only I, I've done some base level reading on it and it has some very interesting mechanics I don't think it's designed for like a super grim dark slay the monstrosities uh, type game um but it does seem to be built for just like a happy, good time. Just I don't know. It'll be really, really interesting to see how what you can do within the system and how it plays out. Yeah, I'm gonna it seems to... very light and bouncy, and sometimes that's what you need. Well, and based on the show, that would 
that would kind of make sense for the feel that they're going for. Yeah, absolutely. I, I that's a that's a, honestly a great way to put it. I think it would be really easy to have a campaign that you could air on Nickelodeon or net or whatever along with the show. Although you're not making Blade Vampire Slayer with this system, but that's not what the system's for. Although, despite the show being very kid friendly, they do cover a lot of like really adult topics in the show. They do, and honestly, there were some spots with like blood bending that got a little darker than I was expecting. I and poor Sokka. How many? How many of his girlfriends died? The the moon one for sure dies. Yeah, or she not she came up. Dies, but. Yeah, the, like that was there, there was the moon gal. Uh, there was chick with the fans. I think winds up doing okay, but I want to say there's at least one more that like does not go well. Yeah, I, think, I, I, I will say that Sokka is 100 percent the MVP of Avatar: The Airbender. Uh, I I love all the characters, uh, <laughs> but Sokka is hilarious. Saka was my he was my my spirit animal. He just he tries so hard. He doesn't have of course I'm also I'm a Krillin fan from Dragon Ball Z. I'm a Batman fan. I like the guys that that hold their own without having any superpowers. Maybe that's why I like artificers. Yeah, that makes sense. You you're not having necessarily the innate power just the either the technology or the training to keep up. Yeah, standing toe-to-toe standin toe with all these guys that can just snap their fingers and make rocks shoot out of the ground. And he's, he's just, just hamming a boomerang. He does get a sword at one point, but it's, he, he it's does, a, while, he does. a while in. <laughs> well, I want to say, like, he... Every single nation that they go to, uh, while Aang is mastering their bending techniques... He's mastering like their martial arts, and I thought that was really, really cool because he picks up the fan, he picks up the sword, but everywhere he goes, he picks up something else. I one of the things that I really like from the Avatar series is that they, in each of the cities and each of the nations, they really took into consideration what a city would look like if people had those powers, and it was consistent. You know, like. The water tribes are all, their houses are all made of like ice and they use like these big canals and stuff to move boats and stuff around and um, not bossing say, what's the other earth town? I know what you're talking about because they had all like these sleds and everything where the rocks ran around on. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, they had like this massive like Amazon delivery, you know, facility for sending stuff all over with these giant like rock sleds and stuff yeah just really interesting to see um for them to like really be consistent with the lore and then have it make sense the fire nation has like industrial stuff because they can all generate fire super easily so like a a lot of things just make sense but they really had to also think about the consequences of people having those abilities versus like if I think of like Skyrim, like your character can just like cast spells, and so like can anybody just cast spells? Because you know, they it doesn't necessarily seem like that, you know, because the world would probably be a little bit different if like everybody could do those things. But and maybe that's just because you're the main character, but you know, 
Well, that's that's actually a really interesting thing I, I enjoy seeing in world building. Um, how many people have access to magic? Whether magic is something everybody has, uh, it gets a little dark when magic is something that only a few people have access to because then a lot of times you wind up seeing like this ruling elite class of magic users. I love seeing that incorporated into the world building and you're absolutely right. Uh, Avatar did a phenomenal job of that. Yeah, and they talk about actually that power dynamic in the... Have you watched The Legend of Korra at all? Uh, little bits and pieces, but like... It, technology starts evening the playing field a little bit, if, as I recall. Yeah, but I haven't watched all of them, but I know I think it's the second season they get into struggles with like the majority of the people are non-benders, and they're kind of like rising against the uh, the bending class, I guess you could call it, um, just because they've always held more power over the non-benders, so it's kind of a class struggle there. But yeah, really actually kind of like deep philosophical like questions that just kind of play out in a kid's show. <laughs> and I love that the writers are able to do that. I think that's phenomenal being able to bring up a lot of those, yeah, like you said, deeply philosophical questions in a child-friendly and like approachable aspect. Well, we are getting about to time here. So we probably start to wrap it up. Um, I, I think I could talk to you for like four hours though. So <laughs> I was about to say, we've, we've hit a slew of topics already. Um, and it doesn't show any sign of slowing down. And I love that. Uh, so for the wrap up, why don't you tell us, uh, kind of where you can, where we can find you. So, uh, well, the only place you can really find me right now is TikTok. Uh, I do 15-second campaign ideas, which is a running thing I've been doing. I've been doing a lot of videos on Pathfinder and the dragons and the lore, stuff like that that you can bring over into 5e. Uh, username over there is Hello Operator, so it's H-E-L-L-O, no space, zero, P-E-R-A-T-O-R. -E that way it, it looks like it's capital O because you can't do capital letters. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Dungeon Master's Toolkit Podcast. You can find links to all of the products and resources that we talked about on the show in the show notes. And if you'd like to join the community or find out how to be on the show, check out our subreddit or join us in our Discord server.